This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. Did you know that cyclists who ride a minimum of three hours a week have a 28% lower risk of all-cause mortality than non-cyclists? Shouldn't your life insurance premiums reflect that? Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like cyclists, runners, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com mtb. Or mention the promo code MTB when you talk to a Health IQ agent today. Stay tuned for more information partway through this episode. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Back in episode 33, we heard from Hansi Johnson. He spoke on how mountain bike advocacy is about more than just trails. Trail associations can affect social change within a community, whether that's getting more people active or empowering youth and differently abled individuals. Hansi also mentioned that it's easy to talk a big game when it comes to this. We can easily say that mountain biking is good for, and you can fill in the blank and insert your social cause here. But as advocates, and I'll quote Hansi directly here, you need to be able to draw the direct line to what that is and why. Partnering with the right groups early is key, even if those groups don't directly affect your trail development goals in the short term. Those relationships are not only valuable for advocacy efforts in the future, but they also help to diversify the sport of mountain biking itself. It's the topic we really started the podcast on, and after diving into things like U.S. wilderness and e-mountain bikes, it's time that we circle back to the topic of diversity in mountain biking, or more specifically, the lack thereof. And depending on your sources, anywhere from 70% to 90% of mountain bikers are male, and the vast majority of mountain bikers are white, and that should be alarming. And I challenge you to dispute those numbers. 77% of the people listening to this show right now are male. 26% are male between the ages of 35 and 45. And if you still question those numbers, then look around the room at your next board meeting or AGM. It's not easy to accept, but mountain bikers do not look like the greater community that they're contained within. Now, it's not that we're doing anything wrong, but we can certainly be doing a lot more things right. And more specifically, every decision we make, we can attempt to see it through the lens of whether or not we're challenging the stereotype or simply reinforcing it. So why is diversity in mountain biking important? I can think of plenty of reasons, but I'll boil it down to our common language, which is trails. Why would a community invest in the development of an activity that only targets a specific segment of that community? And more so, a segment that is in no way underserved in any other aspect of their lives. When it comes to diversity in mountain biking, it's really a question of the future of this sport. Do we want mountain biking in 20 years or do we not? I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 40 of Frontlines. Have 
used the cliche before and I'll use it again. The youth are our future. I know it's not my most wise statement, but it may very well be the truest. And so when it comes to shaping what the future of mountain biking will look like, I think it's important to understand how we can minimize any barriers that might exist for kids who don't come from mountain bike families. And I know the word privilege gets thrown around a lot. And for those of us who come from privilege, we can often feel uncomfortable with the word. But mountain biking is a privilege. There's no way around it. It's one thing to have a bike as a child. That alone is a privilege that many don't have. But the privilege to not only have a bike, but a mountain bike that fits and works, and the ability to access trails either nearby your neighborhood or to have access to a vehicle to either drive or be driven to trailheads, all of these steps can be roadblocks for many, barriers for access. The goal of this episode is to look at one community, Kelowna, British Columbia, and explore two programs that reduce the barriers for the youth there. My first guest is Mike Greer. He's the executive director of Elevation Outdoors. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So let's uh, let's start with just a, a little bit about what Elevation Outdoors is. Yeah. So Elevation Outdoors, we are actually a fully registered charity based in Kelowna, BC. Um, we focus on serving vulnerable and at-risk youth, 12 to 18, uh, and try and get them outdoors and involved in outdoor rec programs. So we run specially designed programs, uh, all at no cost to kids or their families in snowboarding, sailing, uh, mountain biking, and rock climbing. And we're looking to add hiking this fall as well in an effort to just get uh, more kids outside and active so they can see the benefits of playing outside ultimately. And how long has the program been around for? Uh, we started in 2007 with a single snowboard program and then uh over the past 10 years, we've been able to expand. So we have three, four-week snowboard programs. Uh, our mountain bike program runs for seven weeks, which is our longest. We run two four-week rock climbing programs, and uh, we've teamed up with a local sailing association here to help youth access one-week sailing programs as well. Is uh, is one of those more popular than the other? Uh, you know, it's uh, is biking or, or skiing kind of the, the more popular program? Snowboarding, hands down, um, living here in the Okanagan, you know, I think most kids grow up realizing that, oh man, snowboarding, like that'd be great if I could access that. But if their family's not able to, to afford it or for whatever reason, they, they haven't had the opportunity. Um, and then climbing and mountain biking are a close second. Uh, I do find mountain biking, uh, we've changed the structure of the program in the past few years. So it's got greater appeal now. So we do, uh, we do fill that program every year, which has been excellent to see the past couple of years. What were some of those changes that you made? We got a grant from Via Sport that covered the cost of myself and one of our longtime volunteers to go get our PMBI certifications, which then really allowed us to bring a structured approach to our Live to Ride mountain bike program rather than it used to be just like day one. It was like, hey, here's a bike. Follow me down this hill. Uh, whereas now it's like, Hey, here's your bike. Let's start on the flat ground. We're going to make sure, you know, your body position, you know, how to shift, you know, how to break, um, and actually really build their skills from the ground up so that we can build their confidence up over progressively advancing terrain rather than scaring the bejesus out of them day one. And now you provide your students with a, with an exit survey at the end of the program. And, and what kind of things do you, do you hear from them? Uh, yeah, that's actually been one of our best tools to get feedback from the participants over the years. 
Um, and it's, so we're looking at trying to get feedback, you know, did they like the program? How did they interact with our volunteers? How did they feel with their peers? But one of the other things we're looking for is we integrate a bit of a social development curriculum into each program. So we've got different themes of the week. So it's, you know, for mountain biking, it's safe risk taking, self-confidence, direction. Um, so we're asking them for feedback around that. And uh, it was uh, last winter, 2017, for a snowboard program, for example, we had 100% of the participants tell us that their self-confidence improved as a direct result of the program. Same with mountain biking, very high percentage of youth that fill out the exit survey coming back saying, you know, got more self-confidence. I feel, you know, better able to interact with my peers in a bit of a stressful situation. So it's those kinds of benefits, especially as mental health is a growing challenge for young people today to have a, to have a stronger sense of self-confidence can really just set them up for greater success in life. You, know, you mentioned that there's no cost to families uh, for this program, which is which is amazing. And and so I assume you're you're relying on a lot of volunteers to kind of offer these programs. Correct. Uh, we're I am the only individual that uh, is able to get any pay out of the organization, and then we hire a summer student um, in the summers from Canada Summer Job Funding just to help us because that's our busy season. But then we run volunteers uh, in large part here in the Okanagan. Youth mentorship programs have really, um, there's not as many of them around as there once was. So part of uh, the impact our programs have, we keep our ratios of two to one um, participants to volunteers so that they really have an opportunity to engage with um, these, these volunteers, uh, develop a relationship with a positive role model. And just really, we wouldn't be able to deliver programs without volunteer support, you know, for everything from driving to, um, you know, spending the time with the kids and sharing their passion with them, which is really the biggest thing. Where do the volunteers generally come from? How do you find them? How do you uh, get them involved? All over the place. We go to, um, you know, orientation week at UBCO, uh, get a bunch of students, sign up for a mailing list from there. We, having been around for 10 years, we've got a good sort of uh, catalog of of people who have expressed interest over the years. And it's, uh, our volunteers are a wide range. Um, you know, everybody from sort of 19 year olds that are first year university students, you know, looking to give back all the way up to, you know, we had a retired RCMP officer last summer helping us out driving the bus for us, which really helped quite a bit. Um, you know, and then anybody who's passionate about mountain biking, I think, can take a look and recognize, you know, hey, if I'm going to spend some time volunteering, why not get to do it while putting some some turns in on my bike? So it's uh, it's a really broad background of, of individuals who come out and volunteer, which I think gives the kids a really great example of, you know, it's not just one type of person that's mountain biking, you know, it's all kinds. And this can be a lifelong thing as they see some of the older volunteers that are out, you know, in their sort of 40s, early 50s, still pedaling and going hard. So it's nice. Students are, are coming from, from low-income families. But, but beyond that, what, what is the makeup of the students that, uh, that you're getting in this program? With our eligibility requirements, um, we sort of cover a broad spectrum. So for the programs to be free, the youth have to come from a low-income family, according to the CRA, or through... Uh, foster care or through parole probation or restorative justice programs. So with the low income, that really does cover a broad spectrum, which is great. We certainly see we have strong relationships with uh, a large number of the Aboriginal advocates uh, within the school district here. And that's been amazing to really get 
sort of a broader background of, of young men. And then particularly getting some of the young women out into the sport, I think it's really important for them to see that it is possible and they don't need to be scared of it. We always have some strong female volunteers, which I think does well for demonstrating, you know, to the to the handful of young women that come through the program. Uh, particularly mountain biking can be intimidating, but when they see uh, a female volunteer, it gives them that confidence. They're like, hey, I can stick to this. Um, and then a lot of young First Nations, um, and then just a lot of people with, with harder lives. I mean, you go through the foster care system and, you know, that's to have an opportunity to just get out and, and explore and have some fun can be really game changing for them. So uh, let's, let's uh, touch on the, the F word, if you will, um, funding. How does, uh, how does the program <laughs> gain funding and, and uh, how can you keep this? Uh, you know, it's a, it sounds like a great program, but how do you keep it going? Yeah, um, funding is pretty much why I have a job is because somebody's got to do it full time. Um, so as an organization, we rely quite significantly on grants currently. Um, we do a lot of grant writing. Um, Mount Equipment Co-op has supported us in the past. Um, last year, uh, we actually purchased our own fleet of mountain bikes, and it was our local rotary clubs that really came together to help us out with that, which was excellent, along with the uh, TELUS community fund here in the Okanagan. So it's a real funding base, but grants um, and donations are a big part of it. And then now that we own our own mountain bike fleet, we're actually trying to become a little bit more self-sufficient and rent the bikes out to other local sort of organizations, nonprofits, just youth serving groups that might have um, a need for bikes, you know, a few times a year. So just as a way to try and have the bikes pay for themselves a little bit, um, we're renting them out as well now. So it keeps things interesting. So where can people find more information? Uh, we are online at elevationoutdoors.ca or we're on Facebook, Facebook backslash Elevation Outdoors Canada. Uh, and we're on Instagram with uh, just under Elevation Outdoors. Well, I'll definitely include those links in the, the show notes. Uh, Mike, just thanks so much for taking the time to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Once again, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ saves its customers up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. If approved, Health IQ will use information like race and event registrations and your ride log information from websites like Strava, Trailforks, or MapMyRide to secure you with a better rate on life insurance. Just like a clean driving record will get you lower car insurance, Health IQ helps those living an active, healthy lifestyle pay less for life insurance. And Health IQ doesn't just generate leads and forward you to an insurer. They walk you through the entire journey from answering any initial questions to starting an application, going through underwriting all the way to when your policy is signed and official. Learn more and get a free quote at HealthIQMTB or mention the promo code MTB when you talk to a Health IQ agent today. During my interview, Mike mentioned a couple of acronyms that I just want to clarify. The first was the PMBI. It stands for the Professional Mountain Bike Instructors, and it's a certification program offered in British Columbia, Canada. The second was the CRA. That's the Canadian Revenue Services. It's similar to the IRS or Internal Revenue Services in the United States. I think everyone listening to this can agree that getting kids on bikes is a good thing. But often what is brought up, especially when it comes to mountain biking, is that the bike itself is often the barrier. 
Mike and the Elevation Outdoors program has solved this by having a fleet of bikes for participants to use. But what happens if students want to keep riding after the camp? Well, my next guests have not only minimized the barrier that is owning a bike, but at the same time, they've empowered differently abled individuals within the community who might not have had an opportunity for employment. I'd like to introduce to you Norm Vados, bike mechanic, sales, and self-described troubleshooter at Bikeways Bike Shop, and Bonnie Fraser, employment manager at the Pathways Ability Society. Hi, Norm and Bonnie. How are you doing? Hi, we're great. Thank uh, you. Hello, Brad. Doing well, thanks. So, Norm, I'd like to, to start with you and, and the Bikeways Bike Shop. The bike shop has been around for 17 years. You, you offer refurbished bicycles and, and used bike parts at, at a fairly low cost to the community. How does the, the bike shop get these bikes? Uh, good question. We, uh, we achieve our bikes through uh, three sources, primarily. Thankfully, we get a lot of donations from the community out here, people who for one reason or another, or a can't or elect not to ride a bike or have upgraded. So they will come in and they will donate their bikes, which is very important to us. Uh, the other two sources are through the local police organization, the RCMP, and through the city of Kelowna. So any bikes that are that get caught up in that system with the RCMP or uh, through uh, the city of Kelowna, for example, bikes that are simply left uh, the side of a road are considered a lost bike and that is eventually brought into us. So those are the three sources, donations, RCMP and the city of Kelowna. And just recently, I should add, there's a fourth. Uh, we have an arrangement with the local landfill site here and uh, we have a location at the site with our banner where people who come in uh, and want to get rid of a variety of items will see that on their next trip, they can come in with a bike. So they come into the landfill and they simply deposit their bike at a designated area. And then every Friday, uh, we come in and pick up the bikes. So, yeah. So, in fact, there are four sources. Very cool. Yeah. And, and so with the, the bikes that are coming from the RCMP, there's there's 90 days for somebody to, to kind of claim their bike if it happens to be their bike that was stolen. So, uh, you know, that, that gives ample time for people to kind of make sure that uh, that they don't find their stolen bike uh, at Bikeways or anything. But what would happen if uh, with those bikes, if they didn't end up at your shop? Like if, if you weren't there kind of providing this service, um, where would those bikes go normally? Do you know? I believe that most of them would end up in the landfill. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the big big plus for this whole program is is that you know we are you know we're upcycling all of this product and you know the bikes that we get from the lost and found with the RCMP obviously you hold for ninety days once they've come through with the system they're refurbished and they're resold the landfill bikes you know. Uh, we get quite a number of them that are gently used and we can just refurbish and resell. But on the other side of it, we're, we're, we're benefiting um, with the parts sales because we actually will strip the bikes down and part them out so we can reuse parts and then we can sell parts. And again, it's another recycling process that's really benefiting the entire community and the environment by not you know, seeing all of that product go to the landfill. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love this kind of uh, recycling aspect to, to this program. I, I think it's really cool. Bonnie, I'd like to speak with you just a little bit about the Pathways Ability Society. Uh, what is it and, and what do you do? 
Pathways uh, Delhi Society is a not-for-profit here in Kelowna. We've been in the community since 1953. And uh, we offer services to individuals. We, we provide housing. We provide activity services in community for people who don't necessarily want employment. Uh, and then we have an employment sector. So the Bikeways Shop is part of our social ventures program. And what that does is provide supported employment for individuals who are, you know, interested in working and learning um, how to refurbish bikes. And uh, so, of course, the revenues that come from the bike sales to help us operate our bike shop and pay the, the wages for the employees that are, you know, working and uh, learning the trade of, of refur- refurbishing the bikes. And so who, uh, who's coming to the bike shop to, uh, for employment? Oh, well, primarily the recipients are people that are recipients to Pathways. So Community Living British Columbia is our funding source. So they will refer individuals to our society. And those individuals who are referred to the employment piece are the people that we actually work with and help support and to gain employment. And we do all kinds of assessments and things with individuals prior to them going to employment because we have a number of people that work in community and are actually hired, you know, into customized employment with employers. Uh, and for those that, that require a bit more support, then there are the individuals that are working in our social ventures area. And, and again, like one of them would be in the bikeways area where they come into the shop and they're working with uh, our support staff and our volunteers and they learn the trade. Awesome. Now, what value is there for, for these folks that, that have this employment at Bikeways? You know, what, um, what do they get to take away from this beyond just obviously the, the obvious of, of, uh, of employment? Yeah, well, it's real jobs for real pay, for, for starters. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very important. It's very inclusive and diverse in, in nature. So, you know, th- these individuals are not being segregated in any way. They're working in a public, you know, retail bike shop. And really enjoying the opportunity to learn the trade and to be able to, you know, learn customer service and and be genuine employees. And I, I must say they're exceptional employees. I think Norm has something he wanted to add to that as well. Yes, uh, actually today there's a new employee who came on board. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you could I could feel uh, a sense of accomplishment and, and, and achievement on his part. And that's what we try to, to, you know, that's our objective as well, is to ensure that they learn as much as they can within their range of abilities. But at the end of the day, to walk away and say, you know, this was, this was good. I did a good job, and I'm proud of myself, and uh, it was a prime example today. Excellent. Well, the whole program and, and, and the bike shop, the concept seems something that, that the community, I'm sure, is, is supportive of. But what is the, the vibe of the, the, the customers that, that come into Bikeways? Well, it's uh, quite a variety. For those people who are familiar with Pathways and Bikeways, they come in very, very positive and very supportive. Uh, one gentleman bought a bike here today for $250. And he was quite frank with me. He says, I'm buying the bike here because it's Pathways. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a win-win-win situation. People who are not familiar with Bikeways or Pathways and the cause uh, come in looking for a bargain. Uh, and we, we listen and then we take a minute and we explain to them what we're all about. And then they take a step back and realize that, you know, uh, it's nice to want to get $20 off a bike, but when it's a cause like Pathways. So they end up being very happy once they understand the ultimate goal. 
Mm. So there's a bit of a, an education process for for newer customers potentially. Yeah, there sure is. And you know, we have a lot of families that that shop here because you know we got we have children's bikes, we have mid range, we have road bikes, you name it. We have every type of bike. And it's really cool because these kids, you know, they get these bikes and, you know, next summer they need a bigger bike. They're growing. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for families, you know, to come in and be have, you know, be able to purchase bikes at a very affordable rate. And uh, their kids are happy, they're happy, and we're happy. So it's wonderful. How can people have a look at, uh, at what you're doing? Well, we have a new website, obviously, uh, bikeways.ca. It's spectacular. It's a great opportunity for people to go see some of the inventory we have. It talks about the types of bikes that we carry, our program. talks about the parts area that we have. And, uh, you know, we're located, we have a new location here in Kelowna down at 1216 St. Paul Street. So we're very close to the downtown core, which is fabulous for people who are coming to the city. Kelowna is a huge uh, population of tourists. And so in the summertime, people that are coming to town to vacation, you know, come in and buy a bike, uh, you know, absolutely. That's great location. We're only about three blocks from the waterfront. Uh, great area. And so it's, it's a good place. We're open Saturdays. Really, a really popular spot to come in and spend some time shopping on a Saturday. So I, I should add, it's, it's, it's probably best for people to, to take a few minutes and come into the shop. And like Bonnie has said, we are open on Saturdays. So that's very family friendly now. Uh, but coming into the shop, because we do get quite a turnover. You know, we get a regular flow of donations and bikes from the landfill and bikes from the RCMP. So things change from week to week. So we, we get phone calls and people ask us what we have. And we say, well, this is what we have now. Uh, but there is quite a varied turnover in, in all the bike types. Well, I just want to say thank you to, to both of you for taking the time to sit down and, and chat with me. I I'm, I'm really appreciate it. And, uh, and thanks so much for just sharing this program with, uh, with the audience. Yeah, well, thank you as well. We always appreciate the opportunity to uh, plug our fabulous bike shop and the whole purpose behind it. So that's, that's much appreciated. Thank you very much, Brent. Thank you for taking the time to do this for us. The Bikeways program is a shining example of how a program can help on a number of fronts. The program not only offers social empowerment for customers and employees, but reduces our environmental impact as cyclists. Now I know there's great programs all over the world. I chose to focus on Kelowna out of a great suggestion from Jay Darby of Mountain Bikers of the Central Okanagan and Imba Canada. If you have a great program, I'd like to hear about it. Send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can also find and interact with the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. Give us a like if you haven't already. Before we wrap up the show, I'd like to introduce Eleanor Blick from IMBA, who has a special announcement. Ladies, get out and ride on International Women's Mountain Biking Day, Saturday, May 5th. Celebrate by riding with the gals, taking a new friend out for her first ride, or hitting the trails with your daughter. Tag your photos with the hashtag WomensMTBDay. International Women's Mountain Biking Day is always the first Saturday in May. Visit imba.com for more info. You have a week to put something together in your community. I strongly encourage trail associations out there to make something happen. It doesn't need to be massive. It could be as simple as a Facebook post, organizing a ride, or simply getting all the women in your life out riding. And specifically to all the women listening, May 5th and the first Saturday in May afterwards is your day. 
But as a cis man, I want to know how I can be an ally every other day of the year. So let's talk, share, and most importantly, practice allyship. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, as well as links to the Frontline's MTB Book Club. I'll have a new book coming out next week, so keep an eye on the Facebook page for that. Big thanks to all of my guests, Mike Greer, Norm Vados, Bonnie Fraser, and Eleanor Blick. You can find links to the show notes to all of their respective programs. You can stream the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you haven't already, give the show a rating and review wherever you listen to it. It helps others find the show. Next week, we'll be hearing from the Stillwater Area Scholastic Cycling Advocates in Minnesota and their evolution from a NICA program to a trail building initiative. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.